going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. Thank you, Capital. It is the Going Deep podcast, and we're going to go deep on the Raptors and their fan base. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, but I felt like it was a good time to maybe take a step back, take a deep breath, and do a real deep dive and appraisal on this Raptors season, which, by all accounts, hasn't been what we thought it was going to be. I was bullish in saying this is going to be a top six team in the East. Forget about the play. Now, that hasn't been the case a team that won 48 games a year ago you think maybe with some incremental improvement from their young players the good free agent addition and Otto Porter Jr they take a step they have taken a step backwards midway through the year they're 18 and 23 now they've had one of the most difficult schedules thus far so hopefully on the back end things get a bit brighter but under any circumstance this year has been a disappointment. And part of it is because Otto Porter Jr. really hasn't played any meaningful minutes and won't throughout the rest of the year. So that three-point shooting they're hoping he was going to add to the equation is gone. He's done for the year because of surgery on his left foot. But we saw a Raptor squad in a win yesterday against Charlotte that is maybe moving in the right direction. One of the best things was their stars weren't running to the ground. OG Anobi played 30 minutes. Scotty Barnes played 31. Pascal Siakam played 36. Gary Trent Jr. played 31. Fred Van Bleet played 33. The Raptors have zero players now with 40 minutes in back-to-back games for the first time since November 30th. Part of their issue, because of health, was they had to lean so heavy on their high-usage players, and there really wasn't room for them to take a breath. So that's not the case. The other good thing is that the three-point shooting starting to revert back to the mean. They've been one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. They hit a season-high 20 last night. And when you look at Gary Trent Jr., his shooting is trending in the right direction, 42% from three since December 9th. OG Ananobi is shooting 43% from three since December 19th, which is when he returned from injury. But none of this matters, even though they've now won back-to-back games for only the fifth time this year. None of this matters if they don't start to do this consistently moving forward. And I think that is the greatest question. What is the ceiling for this team? Is this an aberration, what we've seen over the last couple months? Or is this symptomatic to a much bigger problem? Well, the person who maybe can provide the perspective because he's talking about it all of the time and writing about it is Alex Wong. You've seen the book by now, Cover Story, which is about the NBA and modern basketball as told through its most iconic magazine covers. But from a day-to-day basis, he is the co-host and producer of the Raptors show right here, part of the Sportsnet Audio Network. So I wanted to tap in to Alex's expertise and perspective to see, are we overreacting or maybe underestimating the true depth of the struggles for the Toronto Raptors? 
all things Raptors. Let's listen to and learn from Alex Wong as we go deep on one half of basketball by the Toronto Raptors. So, Alex, we're midway through the season. The Raptors are 18-23. We know that Otto Porter Jr. is done for the year. Surgery on his left foot, so another free agent miss. But talked about this recently. I feel like there's no middle ground. There's no in-between. It is either, okay, we're back, we're going to the chip, or burn it all down. Get KOC on the phone. We need to tank immediately. What say you? Where are your mentals when it comes to the Raptors? As I feel like every game we are having some sort of intervention with both sides of the fan base. I feel like just given the the underperformance for the team this season, I think certainly there's an expectation, you know, from me and I think from a lot of people for for the front office to just take a more critical look at what the roster looks like, what the roster construction should look like going forward, and, you know, what what the composition of this roster should be in terms of, you know, has has the front office failed in terms of failing the players and coaches when it comes to not having uh, depth coming off the bench is the starting lineup and and the players that they want to build around is this the group is this the core group that they move forward with you know i think i think those were always the questions that that the raptors had to ask themselves i just i just don't think they realized that they were going to have to ask those questions now like like you know i think coming into the season there was just such high expectations coming off the second half of last year and you know, with Scotty Barnes winning Rookie of the Year, and even at the very beginning of the year, when you when you saw Pascal Siakam come into this year and make this jump, you know, when you have a player playing at that caliber, you know, you do expect to to be maybe not contending, obviously, for a championship, but but kind of moving on an upward trajectory. And uh, we just haven't seen that. So that's kind of where I'm at, I think, in terms of looking at the Raptors' big picture. Is that I want to see what the front office thinks about this team, especially given their performance so far this season. Fascinating thing is, can you come to a conclusion on any of those things in the span of a next month? Because that's essentially what we're talking about. Because you're looking at a team that does have an all-NBA forward in Pascal Siakam and does have an all-star guard from a year ago, not playing at that level, but still was a year ago, not five, in Fred Van Vliet. Do have OG Ananobi, who is one of the best 3 and D wings in the league, could be uh, you know, first-team all-defense. And then Scotty Barnes is still incredibly young and was the rookie of the year. But you have to make some sort of appraisal and decision going into the the deadline, especially because you've got a couple players in, in Fred and Gary Trent Jr. who almost certainly will be unrestricted free agents. Do you think the die is already cast or do you think – this next month will go a long way in what the next couple of years end up looking like. I do think, uh, I do think there's still a lot to, to be determined for, for this next month until the trade deadline comes up on, on February 9th, just because of what we've seen with the pattern of, of, you know, Masai and Bobby and, and the front office, like this is a very patient group. And, you know, sometimes they're, they're patient to a fault that I think it, it does frustrate the fan base because I do think, I do think present day fandom and, and, you know, I don't think this just applies to the Raptors too, is that every time a team does struggle and it's probably because uh, I think the way we, we have conversations about basketball 
now you know in this new era is is so transaction based is that every time a, a team struggles i think naturally people run to the trade machine and the first thought is you know how can we reconfigure the roster whereas i i, I think for the front office you know i'm sure i'm sure they're you know they they're, they're looking at every single option but i think one of the options on the table for them is you know look looking at like you mentioned fred fred and gary do we see them as as part of the long term future? Do they see themselves as as coming back and being in Toronto as a long term future? And if not, making a decision on the trade deadline, and then otherwise, I, I think the most difficult thing, and I think you mentioned this when you were listing out the players with the Raptors, is that when you look at them on paper, when you look at the archetype of these players, like a Scotty and OG, a Pascal, and and Gary and even Precious, and you can go down the list. These are the exact types of players that you, if you were to tear it down, that, that you would want to acquire on a contending team. It's just that they've underperformed. So so I do think, you know, we could reach a point where the Raptors make a couple of moves at the trade deadline, not the earth-shattering moves that, that I think a lot of people uh, would want, especially when they're struggling. And, and then the rest of it is kind of looking at the roster, looking at the coaching staff, looking at the bench, or the lack of it and saying, you know, it's up to us to figure it out. It's up to us to figure it out based on based on the players that we do have. I think the most fascinating one is Pascal. Because there are real reservations on, well, what is he? Like on a championship team, can he be your best player on a championship team? Can he be your second best player on a championship team? Yet you look at the numbers he's putting up, and in terms of being in you know, the top 20 in assists, points, and rebounds, it's him, Luka, LeBron, and Jokic. That, that, that's it. But at the same time, he's going to be 29 by the time the year is over. And there are a few players who I think are at that status where they – deserve and should really be paid as a super max. And we are in an era where there's a bunch of Joe Johnson's around there where you, you get the, the max just because you ask for it and not because you really deserve it and someone will pay it. So teams just are forced to, to bid against the, the ceiling of, of what you were able to get given the CBA. I think that the Pascal scenario it's fascinating because if you are trading him, you're really saying like, okay, we're going to be in the woods for a while. But at the same time, he's he is the player of the ones that we listed that would get you the biggest return. Yeah, I think the understanding is that, you know, the biggest return would come from Pascal and, and, and OG would probably put next on the list. You know, I, I do think on a championship contender, and, and, and the thing is, like, we've seen it in, in 2019 when, when they made the championship run that Pascal can be, uh, uh, you know, a number two player, um, and, and he certainly improved his skill set so much more. I think on a really good roster, if, if you know, Masai and Bobby were able to, to put that around Pascal, you, you could definitely make the argument that you can contend for a championship with Pascal as your best player. And I think when everybody's having the conversation, whether it's to tank, whether it's to, you know, keep the roster or maybe even find some kind of middle ground, 
it's the same conversation about finding a star, right? Like people want to talk about tanking and and then you know trying to 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 juice the odds to to potentially move up and get a Victor Wambayama. It, it, it's it's because like this is something that we all know, and I know you know this too, is that you know that the path to winning a championship is always having that top five, top ten potential superstar. And you know Kawhi was that for the Raptors in 2019. Can Pascal be that? You know I love to see Pascal just just on on a better team, on a team, on a Raptors team where he is surrounded by more talent. Uh, because he certainly made a jump this year. And I think what you get to, too, when you talk about Pascal's age and the timeline is that's really the central friction, I think, of all the decision making uh, by uh, is 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 just the timeline with Pascal. And you look at Scotty, right? Like Scotty's the other path to a potential star for this team. And, you know, he's certainly taken a step back in year two. And we've seen that from young players. You know, you even look at a Jason Tatum and then the Jalen Brown duel in, in Boston. It took a lot of years. And, you know, by by all reports, Scotty is is, you know, quote unquote, untouchable in, in trade talks. And we saw that in the summer as well when Kevin Durant was available. I think that's the big that's really the bigger question for the Raptors, not just for this next month, but for the next couple of years is like if you're building on Pascal's timeline, you know, is Scotty ready to be a player to, to help you contend in the present? And can Scotty be that player? The assumption is that, well, he'll be that 1A star and, and Pascal eventually could be, you know, a really good two on a championship team. But I don't know if we know that Scotty can be that. He's getting the Draymond Green, Ben Simmons treatment right now where other centers are just saying, yeah, you can take a mid-range shot if you want to, but we're not, we're not even going to guard you. And so moving from that to someone who can playmate, dictate, defense, command a double team, that's a, that's a huge jump. And so I, I think you've got two appraisals going on at the same time. What really is Pascal? What really is Scotty? What could he be? And, and how do you play in a way that gets the most out of them, which you know, leads me to Fred? Because as much as we want to critique and look at his game and the erosion of it, specifically from the three-point line, there are many nights where I'm watching and I'm saying, well, who is this? Who's this good for? It's really not good for Fred to just be standing in the corner as if he's Kyle Korver and be a catch-and-shoot player. He's never played like that. I don't know if it makes sense for him to play like that. And so many times, offensively, things have eroded to what seems like a Rico Hines run where it's like, okay, here's the ball. You get in your bag and hopefully make something happen. Or if not, we're here to bail you out at the end of the shot clock. What... Do you foresee happening to make sure that you can properly get the most out of Scotty moving forward and figure out what his ceiling truly is? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a learning curve thing for for Scotty, right? You mentioned you know how defenses have been have been treating him and how he's responded to it. You know, everything has been kind of a mixed bag with Scotty this year. You know, we've seen games, a lot of games, where you know we haven't seen him show up and until late in late in games and then you look at a win over portland on the weekend where you know he was very aggressive in the first half and you know looking for his shots and and then getting to the basket and i and i think you know what what it's going to require is you know i think this season has has really identified like you mentioned all these holes in his game that he needs to work on and then that's the path for the young players right like you know getting improving in the summer like like we've seen this with with Raptors players we've seen DeMar come back when he was here 
every year more improved. We're seeing it with Pascal. And I think that's just what we need to see from from Scotty. You know, I think from from year to one to year two has has been a struggle. Like what is year two to year three look like? You know, last year when we were, you know, so full of optimism and kind of allowing ourselves to dream uh, about what Scotty's ceiling is like we we were talking about, you know, at times we'd bring up comparisons to someone like even Giannis. And, and, and I think if you look at some of these great players, you know, who came in as development projects, the same way Scotty is, the same way Giannis is, you, you, you look at Giannis's career path, it, it took him a lot of years too, right? There was a couple of years when, when Jason Kidd was the head coach there and he experimented with him as, as a full-time point guard and then trying to look for different positions. And you see that the same way now with the way, Nick Nurse is, is using Scotty. So I think ultimately, you know, the, the role definition is another big thing on this team. And, and the more and more that we talk about this Raptors team, I think there's just a stack of issues that that, that they need to look at. And, and role definition is another one, because if, if you can define Scotty in a role, uh, that's another big question. Do you want to do that with a young player right now? Or, or do you want to try him? at these kind of assortment of different positions and different roles on the offense and, and then see what works best. So, you know, ultimately I think there needs to be a runway for, for Scotty um, and the team to figure out, you know, what, what's the best position for him moving forward. But that question is going to be answered too, depending on what's the roster that's going to be around him in a month, in a year and, and moving forward. And I have noticed that your appetite for, patience or the direction you prefer in some way has to do with what you've seen or how long you've been part of the journey. The Raptors fan base to me is fascinating because I feel like it's two fan bases in one. You have the OG Raptors fans who, you know, are adamant that this is not a struggle bus. You want to talk about being up in the Sprite zone where Skip to my Lou was the best player on the team there have been some dark days. You, how dare you go after Bobby Webster and Masai Jury? Do, do you want to talk about the track record of Rob Babcock? And then there's another segment of the fan base who feels like anything pre-pandemic is a long time ago, so I don't care that they won in 2019. We're looking for sustained success. They should be vying for deep runs into the Eastern Conference finals, if not into the finals, all of the time you you see it literally because you know you're you're a raptors influencer but because you're doing reaction pods after every game what do you make of the different sensibilities that raptors fans current day have yeah you know i think of you know shouts to to my guy jay-z you know you just made me think of the line you know when he i think he he once said you know when you when you're used to filet mignon you know it's kind of hard to go back to a hamburger helper and i think (laughs) and i think that's been the mindset for 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 fans when you mention the championship and not just the championship I, i think just the raptors having set this standard for for the past decade of you know winning 50 games almost every year and and you know obviously climbing to the top of the, the the mountain in 2019 and winning the championship so you know i do think there's this blend of 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 you know newer fans but also the older fans who 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 know like you mentioned you know what it was like to be a raptors fan you know 15 20 years ago i think even a lot of those fans have different expectations now and and you know sometimes i do look towards 
the front office too and i look at Masai, and, and you know Masai really is the one that's kind of banging the drum and setting those expectations right like you think about all the things that he's ever talked about in terms of you know we're gonna win in toronto in terms of asking the fan base to have more pride about themselves and and then to be- believe in themselves and to believe in the city and and then putting up the scoreboard the new scoreboard at, at that practice facility that 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 just says win and, and them just setting themselves like putting themselves on this pedestal and having this high bar you know i i think you know as much as much as the fans demand so much from from this team you know i think some of those expectations are set internally by the front office but you know i think there's i think i just go back to just seeing how the the game is discussed and seeing basketball conversations take place today versus like 5 10 15 years ago and i don't know if it's because like all of us have like woge and like shams on like text alert and stuff but like it's just become such a such a transaction based way of of looking at teams now because of so much player movement because of you know players demanding trades and superstars wanting to relocate when a situation is not good uh, i think is the same way for for fans now to look at it you know when a team is not playing well you know the the first instinct is always to look at you know, who can we move? What is a better situation? What other players are, are available? Where I think if you look at it 5, 10, 15 years ago, if a Raptors team was struggling, I think people would, the fans would look at it more internally. Like, hey, we got to figure it out. I just think, you know, there's not, not often do you hear the solution to, to problems for teams that are struggling being, hey, these guys just got to figure it out. And I think that's part of it. Part of it is, you know, some of these guys, you know, have underperformed and, you know, some of these guys have not meshed and, and they need to figure that out internally. But uh, I do think it's interesting how how the fan base approaches these things. And, and you know, I, I think just general fandom, I think today, like it's it's um people just want something to blame. You know, like when I look at this Raptor season, I'm like, it's everybody's fault. You know, the players <laughs> have not been good coaches. You could have criticism for the front office, you know, has not added the depth pieces. But I think I think sometimes when it comes to fandom, it's it's probably easier um, or maybe, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but it's easier for people to kind of point fingers at one player or, you know, one particular person or one, you know, just the front office or just the head coach. For me, when you look at this Raptors team and if you were to assess them after the first half of this season, to me, you just look at it as a collective failure because there's a lot of blame to go around. The NBA culture is about fits, sneaker releases, and petty drama among players or among players and you know, uh, other celebrities. And it's about free agency. I, for me, when it changed was when Twitter basically broke and the entire league was sending emojis to influence and comment on the fact that DeAndre Jordan was kidnapped and taken from Mark Cuban. Like I was like, what we're doing this for DeAndre Jordan. Like not, it's not Michael Jordan. And that's when I realized that the NBA culture is different. And it is just about what's going to happen in the first week of July and free agency and who's going where and who's recruiting who and how many people basically are living in Toronto to stock Kawhi, to bring him to the Clippers. And so you're right. That the culture is different. You mentioned, Masai, and you know, he said it himself, play in for what? And as patient as the Raptors have been and as pragmatic as they've been at the deadline, 
some would argue in real time to a fault. People were really upset that they didn't move Kyle Lowry when it was obvious he wasn't coming back. I continue to hear him saying, play in for what, ringing in my head, mind you, at the time. You know, it, it, was, it was a much different world. But those sensibilities still seem to be the same, where for him it is somewhat championship or bust. And that's why I wonder, clearly, with a huge middle class in the Eastern Conference with this huge purgatory of, between the few teams that are actually championship contenders and everybody else, I wonder if he jumps ahead of the line and decides, well, I'd, I'd rather a couple more lottery balls than 24 hours of playoff basketball on the road. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, I do. And, and I think I think the tough thing, too, when, when it comes to, you know, thinking about improving your lottery odds and, and, you know, obviously punting on any expectations that you have of winning the most games this season is you, you need to think about how how the Raptors front office is, is approaching the draft, too. And, and, you know, we obviously only have so much information into that. Clearly, we know, you know, the we know the prize at the top of the draft. And, you know, we know about Scoot Henderson and and, and, and these names that are, that, that are being bandied about. But how do the Raptors front office feel about it? Because they've always looked at the draft board differently. Um, you know, you could say, you know, Scotty Barnes was a surprise at number four. And you can look at a player like Pascal that was taken in the late first round. And even Fred, like you mentioned, he was undrafted. And, you know, are the Raptors looking at this and saying, yes, you know, we know what the percentages are going to be in terms of, you know, what we can get of moving up into the top two picks. But maybe there is a there is three to five players that we really like in the top 10 that we're comfortable with if that's what we end up in the lottery and that's where we end up picking to the point where hey if, if we do finish 11th or 12th versus at the very bottom with with charlotte with detroit and with houston that hey if we get the number seven pick that's fine too because there's a player there that we really like you know i think i think victor Rombayama certainly would be a game changer definitely but but I think too when people talk about tanking, when people get you know talk about landing a, a franchise player in the draft, tanking also is is never a, a one year thing, right? Like like if you do land, uh, a, you know one of the top prospects in in this draft, is this is this Raptors roster ready to to suddenly make that jump and contend next year? You know certainly not. People would argue that there's still value, of course. In, in, in moving to the top of the draft. But I think when you start going that way, then it becomes a one-year, two-year, three-year, four-year process of accumulating talent. Then you start thinking about contending on Scotty's timeline. You know, then it goes back to the question of, you know, what's Pascal's future here? So, you know, I, I think I think none of these, the, 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 the biggest, the biggest, I think, problem with, with, with thinking about the Raptors is that none of these decisions are going to be made in isolation. Like there's just a lot of thing moving parts right now. And I think getting the, the best lottery odds is, is certainly one of them. Yeah. I said this earlier. I don't think there are many good options and not to be super negative. I think the fact that they control all of their picks moving forward is massive, especially because they've been able to get Pascal OG late, uh, in the draft, obviously Fred undrafted, but th the issue is you have certainty in the assets that you have now and uncertainty in terms of what you'll get in the draft and who those players 
will become. And if you knew you were going to get scoot, then maybe you'd be super comfortable saying, yeah, we can get less than what we think is fair value for Fred. If you knew you were going to get Wembenyana, then you might be comfortable moving on from OG, not knowing really what his ceiling is or moving on from Pascal. But those things happen in reverse order. I have a thing with my son where this is the club, buddy. There's one in, one out. You get a toy, we got to move a toy out of here. So you decide. Which one are we donating to people who are actually going to play with it more than you do? And every single time, there's a toy that he doesn't want to part with, even though he doesn't play with it. It's just like a little bit of a comforter, one that he loves to have around. I look at this Raptors roster in the same way. I feel like everyone has a player like, yeah, I know they got to listen on this guy or that, but please really like this person, have their jersey, love their sound bites in, in the post game. Don't move that person. I really want to see them stay as a Raptor. Who's that person for you? You know, for me, if I were to look at this roster right now, it's it, it has to be Pascal. You know, I, I think Pascal has has shown so much, especially, you know, when you think about his, his career arc post-championship, you know, being thrust into that spotlight after Kawhi left and, and you know, all, you know, the conversations about what he was going to be or not going to be as the number one option and the struggles that he went through after the pandemic shut down the season and he came back in the bubble and, you know, the, the, the frustration of the Tampa season. And, and, you know, the injuries to start last year and the way that he was able to perform at an all-NBA level to close out the season. And you look at the jump that he's made, I think this is a player that is that is worth building around. And, and I, think, I think the Raptors have to decide what their first question is, really. You know, when you think about all the options that, that they have. Is the central question, is the first question that they want to answer, how do we build the best team around Pascal Siakam because I think if that is the number one question for you then it's going to inform all the other things that we've talked about and and you know what you're going to do so if you were to ask me you know I think it has to be Pascal it's very he's such a rare story in the NBA and and for him to be performing at this level right now this is the exact type of player that that you want and and the question is maybe this is a challenge to the front offices are you are you able are you capable of finding a way of of bridging where Pascal is at and where Scotty is at and and having something in the middle in terms of players like OG and and you know maybe a player like Gary if he stays are you able to find enough players and are you able to add to the bench and are you able to assemble a roster where you can take advantage of where Pascal is now and also be able to to be patient and wait for Scotty but that's a really di- that's a really difficult calculus. You know, the Raptors have 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 been known and you know have been applauded for being able to win and develop at the same time for for so long in in this era with Masai, but you know, now when you look back at it, that feels more like the outlier than than the norm because it's really difficult in the NBA to do both. So I think that's 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 a big question for the Raptors to ask. Pascal's a good one and I just don't want to upset the entire Pascal economy. Christian, his brother is coaching at 905. Don't want to upset that. Don't want our friends at Nando's to have to move all that spicy pea you know, sauce, which is outstanding. The Raptors are remarkable in the fact that 
five, six players at any given time all have like national campaigns with multiple companies. I don't know if there's another team in Canada or in sports where that is the case. We're going so far down the depth chart that you and Will are going to start to have your own national campaigns because we're going to run out of players to give gear to or give food to or give cars to. Uh, yeah, give me all the leftovers, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm down, man. Hit me up. What's the what's the the funniest Raptors partnership you remember uh, uh, over time? <laughs> oh man, I don't even know what the partnership was, but those Hidu Turkaloo, I think it was like pizza commercials that he was doing. Yeah, I want to say it was pizza, pizza. I should probably get fact checked on that, but like <laughs> he was just sitting on the couch. Um, and, and I think Jay Trano, who was a head coach at that time was like involved or something like that. Like it, it was just, it was just so funny to me that, that ad campaign. Hello? Hey, Turk, Jay, are you watching that LA tape? Yes, coach. Are you studying their pick and roll actions? Yes, coach. I hope you're focusing on your matchup. Yes, coach. That was what, what he do was really doing here in Toronto. <laughs> like he was really just sitting on that couch and having a box of pizza so you know when when art imitates life you know i think that's that's a real sweet spot that i think that the marketing departments of, of the big corporations <laughs> in this city are, are really trying to hit oh it's that our organic content that uh, we, we truly need uh, I, I love it listen you fact checked uh, when you're writing books obviously you know many people know not just you for your role on the raptor show but for cover story but you're cooking up uh, something else tell us about the, the book that's going to drop yeah sure uh, i'm wrapping up the the manuscript to my next book uh and it's called uh, prehistoric and it's a look back at the origin story of the toronto raptors and, and the first season the 1995-96 season so i've interviewed i want to say around like 130 people and a lot of them involved with the first year of the organization obviously from you know, ownership to, to people that, that worked, you know, in the organization, in different departments, uh, to obviously a lot of the players that were there on the first year roster, to the coaches, to the broadcast crew, to, you know, original members of the dance pack, the Raptor mascot, and, and on and on. And, and you know, it's a, it's a deep dive and in, 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 in an attempt by, by me to, to really tell a fully formed story about the beginning of this franchise and and you know i think for me just looking at it and and i guess you know this is another way of just feeling like you know time has passed really fast like it's almost been three decades since the beginning of the franchise and i think even we talk about younger fans and older fans earlier you know i think a lot of older fans remember what it was like being at the sky dome sitting at the 500 level but for for younger fans i i feel like when you ask them about the first year of the raptors they might remember like three things you know damon sotomayor getting booed at the draft them beating the bulls and i can't even think of a third thing that that they might know just off the top of their head so that's you know that that's really the that was the motivation for 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 me to write this book and i had done smaller features over the years on bits and pieces about that first year and something that i really wanted to sit down and deep dive into um so um you know really really fortunate to, to have had the opportunity the last couple of years to 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 put this together um you know it's um i'm pretty miserable right now just because it's the final weeks of kind of fine-tuning and wrapping up the manuscript but you know i guess i'll i'll feel better when it's all finished but i am very excited for, for everybody to to check it out when it does come out hopefully later this year i'm wrapping up the manuscript is a low-key flex 
Hey, that is should it be. Though? Oh, it is. You, that should be your bio on every platform. It should be your out of office, whether you're busy or not. Someone wants to do something. Like, ah, I can't do it tonight. I'm wrapping up the manuscript. I have been given a very hard time by by a lot of my friends because that has been my excuse for the last couple. Of oh, months. for sure. I'm I'm kind of sick of saying it, but also Don't be. I just I just I just need need to. I, I I need to move on. I need to move on from this. Not not like not in a bad way, you know, having gone through, you know, kind of the book writing process and stuff. It's just you, you get to this point where where you've you've been you've been around this material a lot. And and I think when you're working on a book, working on a manuscript, like it can be a very lonely experience in that, you know, the material you have is something that only you know and you're holding on to. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I am, I am really excited about it. I'm really excited about it for, for Raptors fans to, to check this out. Oh, put that on the t-shirt. I'm wrapping up the manuscript. 130 people. I don't think I've interviewed 130 people like Vern Lundquist in your life. Have you ever like, no, I don't think I have 130 people. That's a lot. So shout out to you. Uh, I, I hope it is, uh, backed up in multiple places. You got like a terabyte of info on on multiple hard drives because that is uh yeoman's work so we appreciate it uh and we'll continue to consume uh, the content on the pod when it drops with will and uh, the the manuscript once it's wrapped up and is, is printed in hardcover appreciate you donovan i really appreciate it man shout out to alex once again for taking some time from that manuscript and wrapping it up to chop it up with us. He's a massive following on Twitter, but if you're not one who's following already, at Steven underscore LeBron, that is correct, at Steven underscore LeBron is his handle on Twitter. We'll go deep a little bit further on some of the funny things he said. Stay with us. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you. Thank you, Grandma, Granddad, two massive Raptors fans. Sitting on the couch for all of the games, and they feel invested and in love with all of the players. But I do like Keto? Well, that was my point. Thank you, show. <laughs> I do think it is important to point out and draw the distinction that not all eras of Raptors teams was full of players, quite frankly, that <laughs> granted national uh, campaigns by Fortune 500 companies because they weren't really that lovable. And clearly that didn't stop Hito from uh, getting some sponsorship opportunities, but he had his share of awkward on-court interactions. What was different for you tonight in terms of just setting the tone with your game in this game? Ball. The ball in your hands. And you did a lot with it. I got nothing else to say. We've seen our fair share of of not so great interactions with media immediately after ball games. Greg Popovich comes to mind, for example. Like it's happened. Obviously it's not a Raptors coach or like the infamous uh uh, Shaq talking to the reporter and he like cuts, he drops the F bomb. And then the guy's like, uh, Shaq, we're on live TV. And he's like, I don't bleeping care. <laughs> and he just keeps going. Like I've always really enjoyed to a certain extent as a fan watching those things. But I just know that if that ever happened to me as an actual reporter, I, I would probably be hard pressed to react to it in a professional way. 
And the shock one, if memory serves, because getting old and the memory's getting foggy, he was mad at calls that went in his team's favor. Yeah, yeah. And that weren't for the Raptors, and I believe specifically for Vince Carter. I know you were frustrated at how the officiating went, uh, officiating went down the stretch there, but you guys pulled it out and was a big win. Davis Turner wonder why the league is losing money. That's why people pay good money to come watch these athletes play. And they try to take over the game. Shaq, we're on live. No. Let me ask you this. It's so funny how there have been so many Raptors moments over the last five, ten years that we've pushed those previous ones into the attic of our minds and don't really think about them. I had totally forgot about that pizza commercial until Alex brought it up. And Lance, you were the one who was telling me about how awkward it was. How do you even remember about it and what a mess it was? It was just awkward. Like, it's just, it was like, I can't even imagine what they're going through. Like, you do the interview and it's ball. That's simple. And then, like, where do you go from that? (laughs) <laughs> and it's, I'm, and we played it. We played like it just, it's a drop. And that's what he's known for. He's known for that, the pizza, pizza commercial and the encounter with the fan in Toronto. That's his Raptors legacy. And if you've ever been on a commercial set, there are so many people, agency people, brand oh, yeah. people, cinematographers, makeup, you know, craft services, food, agent for the actors, etc. And so let's just take us into that set that was the best take that they had. So, like, they <laughs> overshoot, what, like, it's as if it's a movie, they're overshooting time, time. Okay, can we get it from this angle? Maybe a little bit more enthusiasm in your voice, a little more serious. Okay, maybe move over on the couch a little bit. Ah, we're losing light. Hey, lighting, can you come back in here? That was the best take that they had. Man, I can't imagine. Forget about being in that arena with, you know, all the high emotions, but I can't imagine being on that, on that commercial set. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because commercials – now because that was what like 10 years ago ish probably thereabouts right maybe maybe a little less uh maybe yeah maybe a little more actually but uh you look at commercials now and i mean look at scotty barnes right scotty barnes is all over tv radio uh podcast ads uh, bus ads like you can't go real 10 feet in toronto without seeing the quote-unquote bullway ads for scotty barnes but but it's interesting because this the commercial itself is structured like he is intentionally doing multiple takes. Like it's, right. it's, it's, it's like made, I think to kind of make him seem, I'm like, I've never actually met Scotty Barnes, but it's made to make him seem and feel, I, I think more relatable, personable, likable, which I think is interesting, right? Because obviously advertising evolves and it will continue to evolve. Like I'm, I can't wait for the days we get like the minority report style ads where they like scan your retinas and they give you like personal <laughs> ads as soon as you walk into like the Bay or something. Right. But uh, yeah, I think you, I, I just find it interesting how commercials have evolved to the point where they certainly want it to be funny, but they want to frame these athletes in the best possible way. Even when you look at those uh, commercials with, I think it was, I think it was, Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, and they're making like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Jeff, yeah. yeah, right. That's right. It was for the peanut butter brand, and and it's like a kind of lighthearted, silly commercials. Like you don't you don't really see like other kinds of commercials these days anymore. Lastly, put both of you on the spot. Start with you, show mm-hmm. your favorite, and it could be favorite because it's cringe, or favorite because it's great. 
your favorite Raptors brand endorsement partnership is what? You know what? I don't even have to think about this too hard because I already ate at this place all the time, which was Osmos. Ah. Yeah, I, I got to say, Osmos was, I just generally enjoying, he enjoyed eating shawarma. And that they had, was it a Norm who was the Osmos guy? Yep. People keep asking, was changed since winning a championship? Changed. Still the same old Norm. Sorry, I'm late, beautiful. At Osmos, we're making what you're craving. Eat like a champ. I uh, yeah, Osmos. Mm, always here for like some some uh, you know shawarma on the rocks. It's not an ad. I'm not being paid by Osmos. They, they, I believe they've had multiple players, but Norm is the one that stands out. Norm, get another great example. He was a, a best six man on this team. He had his own clothing line. Understand the grind. In multiple spots, he he, he was a GoDaddy person. He was a Google phone person well at some point the point being is that in his subsequent spots and stops in portland and then la with the clippers i doubt he's getting the same amount of off the court love by companies as he got in this country so the salary cap allows you to pay someone to a certain level and people have said, oh, my goodness, in Canada, you got to pay this tax, so on and so forth. It's funny to think back when the people were trying to keep Kauai here. Remember, they had, and like you'd see, you go to like any restaurant in the city, they had those stickers that they like yeah. put on, on the like restaurant. Kauai and Dine. Kauai and Dine, that's what it was called. And, and they had the st- they put them on the on like front of restaurants and like, hey, Kauai, resign here. You'll like eat free for the rest of your life. Obviously, did not sway him. But I, I do wonder how much of those things go on in other places, too. Yeah, I would say very little. I think there's a lot of people. <laughs> Uh, in LA, in line for uh, sponsorship opportunities. Uh, Lance, your favorite? Um, Norm Powell on the piano ad. Yes, I, I think it was GoDaddy or whatever. But that was like the, him on the piano. That's an all-time classic. Hi, I'm Norman Powell, shooting guard for the Toronto Raptors. I'm also an aspiring musician. I normally only play for myself, but now I'm ready to share my tunes with the world. So I used GoDaddy Website Builder to put my music online. The website took no time at all, and the 24-7 customer service is always friendly. All right, so what do you think about this? Love it. They're my biggest fans. Norm, with back-to-back partnerships, I think there is a through line here and some commonality because I'm also going to go GoDaddy, but not with Norm's, the first GoDaddy ad, and that would be JV's Itty Bitty Baller. Oh, right. Hey, I'm Jonas Valanciunas, superstar center for the Toronto Raptors. When I'm not being a big guy on a court, I'm in my workshop making itty-bitty figurines. This is my real passion. It's a lot of hard work, but I love it. Here's me riding the Raptor, doing a split. And here's me thinking. People are like, wait, what's happening? Like, They, they even sold a figurine from that, did they, they not? They certainly did. They certainly did. I have it. I had it for a while until like all small figurines broke. I, I think I've got one with like, you know, one arm. But people are like, wait, is this real? Is Did he actually make them? Because in the ad, you've got like seven foot JV on a little chair, like, you know, gently making this figurine in his uniform. But but it was a real, it was a throwback to Little Penny. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it was a real website and you could really go on there and buy it. It was, you know, in some ways genius uh, marketing because it was, you know, only later that we figured out, oh, this is actually about, you know, GoDaddy and their ability 
to help small businesses by by giving them. Did Muggsy uh, Bogues do something like that for GoDaddy? Like he did. Like it was some like like re- recently. Like as a Raptors alumni, one of the Raptors alumni, it might have been Muggsy, it might have been someone else, but they they wrote like a children's book and it was published via GoDaddy. Yes, you're right because it got to the point where we were running out of players. CJ Miles yeah, was the GoDaddy right. person. He had his pajamas. Yeah. But by the time the ad had come out, he was traded and the, the first launch he was here and then the second launch he was not. So then they were like, well, let's go with Raptors alum because you, you're you always going to be Raptors alum. Yeah. You can't be traded. And we've exhausted players on the franchise. Let us know uh, what your favorite Raptors brand partnership is uh, present day or past. Uh, this partnership is always fun between us and you. Thank you so much for listening on behalf of of Lance and show. I'm Donovan. Talk to you soon.